0: Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of Carolyn Talks. I am your host, Carolyn Hines, and as you know, this is the podcast/slash YouTube channel where I talk to film creators about their work, their time in the industry, and what inspires them as artists. And today I am joined by filmmaker. Sabita Singh to discuss her new short film Shadowbird Sansi the English ter- the term in Indian and I'm very excited to talk to her about this film because as a cinematographer like she has a very special eye I think of capturing her stories and this is one film that I think anyone who enjoys visual visualism and um, stories and how stories are told visually would enjoy this short film so Before we begin, as usual, I'd like to have my guests say a bit about themselves or what inspires them and inspired their work. So Savita, what can you tell the audience about yourself and what inspired you and what got you into filmmaking?
1: Hi, I'm so glad to be here on your podcast and I really enjoyed the chat we just had before we started recording. So um, so, uh, this is Savita Singh. Uh, I'm a filmmaker and a cinematographer based out of Mumbai, India. I've been primarily working as a cinematographer in the Mumbai industry and uh, the experimental indie space for about 14 years now. And this is my first uh, film as a writer director, also I've shot it. So um, I'm so glad to be talking to you about the film and thank you for saying such lovely things about the film.
0: Thank you. Also, um, that you mentioned before we were ch- chatting, before we started, um, you said you were a critic and a journalist. I want to ask you about the transition from doing uh, from criticism and journalism into becoming a cinematographer because that's what you primarily started out as. What was that transition like and what inspired the change? So
1: when I was studying in college for my degree course, which was a mass communication course, I, I was interning with a newspaper, a very uh, lovely newspaper called The Statesman. And um, I started initially with the crime beat and stuff, but just didn't go down well with me at that age. It just found it too difficult to digest. So I was always into films as a child. Like I grew up watching uh, uh, a lot of uh, films from uh, uh, filmmakers such as Kodard or Purosawa or or the progressive Indian filmmakers. So uh, it was only natural for me to uh, maybe, you know, seek a position in the features desk And I was uh, invited uh, by my features editor to come and write stories about film. They gave me one article to write about films. I did well. And then gradually I was reviewing films, initially English and then Hindi. And that was really life-changing for me because back then in uh, early 2000. We didn't have like so much access to cinema, how we have it now. Right. So uh, I could go to the embassies and watch retrospectives of so many directors. And I got to see such stunning films from across the world because of the nature of my job. So, yeah. So that happened for two, three years. And then I applied for a, a three year cinematography course at Film and Television Institute of India and I was fortunate that I got through. It's the oldest and one of the most prestigious film schools in the country. And that is where uh, I can say that I truly found my expression and that you know, cinematography was my calling. And um, that's how the journey started.
0: Um, do you think that your experience as a writer actually helped you as a cinematographer? Because with writing, you have to be able to express yourself in a different format from verbal speech. And as a cinematographer, that like you're doing the same thing because you're telling the story by showing the landscape and and the and the through the lighting of the film and the characters. So, do you think that helped with your transition and made you understand the medium better?
1: Yes, of course. Because writing for a newspaper, you know, you have to be very very careful about the use of and the number and the position of words you use, and everything has a certain weight. So that kind of editing, sub-editing a copy, and writing it, presenting it. It taught me how to articulate my thoughts and how to sum them up and correctly project them uh, to the reader or the audience. So that was really helpful. And um, But I still didn't think that I could, um, you know, uh, tell write my own stories. But when I held the camera in my hand for the first time back then, I really thought that I could express so much better because uh, I was... Uh, A visual person, and I had this tool to say uh, what I wanted to say. And um, it was only like over the years that I slowly grew uh, a way of also putting my stories down on paper and then to bring them alive uh, using the strength of my camera and also uh, um, the way I was engaging with stories right from the start as a child. So, yeah, all the things came together eventually, I feel.
0: No, I think it did because, uh, like, this is, this film is, um, as I said, like, everyone who's seen these know that I always say the same thing, but it's true. I'm a very visual person, so I always pay, I like to pay attention to details, and this film is, as a short film, it's only about 20 minutes long, but it does give us, I, I like how we get an aspect of career, of, of Indian culture, and with regards to not only the storytelling and how um, stories are told, in indian culture because every culture around the world every every country has its own way of telling stories has its own way of relating its history through its stories and you do that in this film because i think the film actually has is the way i'm seeing it technically three stories being told at the same time there is the story of of song save the songbird then there's the story of nadi and her relationship to her father and her and the timekeeper and then there's another story that's being told to her of of the of the warrior bird that was that was killed by um by the king so i i the the film itself tells like three different to me stories of of indian culture so i want us to talk a bit about that about using the film to tell three specific stories or just in stories in general so um could you tell me about the stories that why you picked these stories especially the story of nadi and the timekeeper and and sonsi so it's
1: just developed in a very um. Uh abstract and get a random way. Like there were so many stories that I had. I was uh, writing a film about a girl, a young girl who maybe could be the saddest girl on this earth. Um, uh, she had a cat, uh, It trans- um, and then I realized cat is not really doing justice to the sadness to bring out that. And then it became a cloud uh, over her head. And then it transformed into a shadow word somewhere down the line. And then when I uh, retrospective, I realized that, you know, these were stories which were so much a part of my childhood. So they somewhere just found their way and, you know, they kept changing shapes. And Timekeeper, uh, again, a character who I'd heard of in the older days, like there used to be people who used to come and fix clocks, old antique clocks. So this was a, a, a profession. And uh, I, I'm really fascinated with how older technologies, older methods are, uh, and older professions are slowly dying because of advent of technology. And I, I somehow find a lot of uh, intrigue with uh, the past, uh, with, uh, which is how, you know, you can read a civilization by the way uh, it lived a certain uh, way in the past. So that really intrigues me. So it, there were many things. Um, So like, for example, the film uh, has uh, a very folklore, uh, fable-like quality. It's about myths, it's about Mm -hmm. legends. Um, I kind of call it a a film fable that, I mean, I like to call my film a film fable. So so it's pretty much a a story which I wove. There are some references to some real fables, real myths. For example, the uh, warrior bird, Jetayu, which is a character out of Ramayana. And in our, uh, uh, like in uh, in India, myths and uh, 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 folklores and uh, uh, things like Ramayana and Mahabharata, uh, they're not really. uh, They are a part of our personal history. We grew up listening to these stories from our grandmoms and our dads and mothers, and these references would just seep in conversations and so it it doesn't seem like a religious text or a mythology uh, which was written years ago it just sounds like a part of your personal history so um, so i was trying to be, i was trying to make a film which was about um, remembrance about melancholy about childhood the loss of it and finding it back um, about the memory of it, about uh, uh, evoking it through folklores uh, that I kind of built on my own and uh, wove a character called Timekeeper. So there were so many more uh, references. And I was basically trying to tell uh, uh, the story with a lens. I started with this one sentence in my head, which said, um, The memory of my childhood was purer than my childhood. So this is something which I was trying to evoke, you know, like every time we look back at our childhood, um, I think the uh, story of a childhood or any person, individual's uh, life is pretty much the story of their entire family, clan, village, generation, civilization, country. You can't separate them. So, um, and then you look back at your childhood or uh, you look back at the memories, um, uh, you... uh, uh, remember it with a lens of romanticism, you know, you, you kind of uh, make it bigger than what it was and uh, you, uh, or sometimes uh, sadder than what it was. And and it's uh, cathartic in many, many ways. So that happens. So, uh, so all of these things were like coming together. And uh, that's how this uh, complex spiral struck. And you very interestingly said that there are three stories uh, which are happening so um, uh, so the film is basically about a little girl, eight-year-old Nadi, who's in this state of um, uh, dream and uh, awake, you know? It's like that VR of morning when you're asleep and you're awake, you're conscious and is uh, mm-hmm. unconscious. And in that little time, how you weave a spell of uh, dream. And, and um, uh, it's basically about her quest to find her shadow bird which goes missing and how this mystical character timekeeper uh, helps her find find it. And it's set in this village, which is, um, again, uh, um, it's, it's something which could exist inside our head or it could be real or it could not be real. It's a village where it's not stopped raining forever because uh, of, again, the myth of Jatayu. Um, uh, it's, it's a village which is stuck in a time warp, a time bubble. And it seems like uh, there is no human imprint apart from the few figures that we see. So I was just trying to build a very dreamlike state. And, and it happens in many, many timelines. Like it's, it's her in the real present morning when she's sleeping. It's her in her own dream. It's the older Nadi who's narrating the story. So it's also like present and past. It's in, in her head. There is a Story between her, the shadow bird, and the timekeeper. Then there is her recollections of the loss of, you know, uh, the father leaving, the sadness of her mother, transforming into her own internal sadness. So it's it's like so many things uh, happening together. So yeah.
0: So one of the things that I I am re- really interested in is the concept of time in this, because as you mentioned, a lot of it takes place in like in between spaces, like in between um, being awake and being asleep. And it takes place in the past and the present. And the, the the like talking about the use of the old clocks, like you know the clocks with like the the um oh my gosh I'm drawing a bank on what you call it, <laughs> but you know the pendulum. ones where, where, the, where it swings and like oh. the pen- yes thank you pendulum, and and I and I'm really interested in it because like because the the story of uh, Jatanyu like because he he's killed and he dies on the forest floor, um rain starts falling and it never stops in this village like it's a it's a place of constant rain and moisture and wetness and like the like the village like all of the ruins are covered by moss and like covered by ferns because it's a moist atmosphere but then talking about time like i kind of saw it as a consequence because like they're stuck in this time this time this loop where like time doesn't seem to flow and i and i want to ask you there's a yeah. particular scene that I really thought was an interesting way to talk about the concept of time, and that's when the timekeeper he's walking along this path, and you're, and this is where the story is um, talking about he was basically punished for throwing the keys to the watchtower in the river, and it talks about he arrives before time does, so he like time follows him, and what you, what I thought was interesting what I seen is that you don't, you follow him to a certain point, and he keeps walking, and the camera goes back, and starts. They following the path that he does. I want to ask you about how you, how you actually use your camera work to, to describe the concept of time. So I want to ask you about that scene in particular, because I was like, ah, so he's the one who pulls time along. Time follows him. He doesn't follow time. Yes, that's a very, very interesting question, actually. So, I
1: mean, I, and uh, I've been always very fascinated with uh, how time works, because um, like Nati, I have woken up almost all my life Uh, even as a child even today uh, uh, with a dream and uh, so many times the dream almost seemed real you know like I wake up from a dream and think it actually just happened and so so that always you know that memory stays so it started from there and and um, I wanted to um, so again the concept of time comes from this uh, basic idea I wanted to keep everything very childlike I did not want to philosophize or intellectualize anything because a child's world is like that. That's the beauty of a uh, child's mind that, you know, they don't have to complicate things and yet they understand the deepest of meanings of uh, life and existence. And that's why maybe they're just such uh, happy beings and more complete. So, uh, so when uh, in your dream, like uh, a 10 second span could mean a lifetime. So, uh, Uh, and which is so true in terms of science space science fictions and it also manifests Mm -hmm. in your dreams so so time we all experience time uh, in that sense like if somebody is kind of going through uh, say for example if someone's on their deathbed they'd see their whole life flash in front of their eyes in fractions of seconds so the girl for Mm -hmm. me was still the saddest girl who seems to be it might be just a uh, regular morning of her life or she might just be on her deathbed. It could mean so many things. And how her entire life or dreams or things, her inner fears, melancholy, they're all manifesting in that little fraction of a few seconds. And uh, timekeeper is uh, a metaphor for time. And um, um, I hope uh, like uh, like how a child's mind, you know, like you... Uh, you blow uh, everything out of proportion. So when you say that he uh, was the time, uh, a child, when you say the cloud burst, we know that it meant that it mm-hmm. may rain and there was a scientific reason for it. A child would actually imagine a cloud burst. It's as simple as that. And and um, so um, so the, uh, this particular shot that you're talking about that uh, we are explaining that timekeeper would walk ahead and time would follow him. So uh, so camera walks with the timekeeper and as he exits the frame, we track back and we come back to the empty space and we walk again. Because it's as simple as that. the time, I'm walking with the time and you can't see it. Now it, it's nothing, I don't think it's any more uh, deep than what it seems, but uh, I think the deepest of things are as simple as that. So uh, how uh, an absurd thought, which may seem or sound absurd to us, is the most natural way for a child to look at. So, um, so that was basically the lens. And um, I did not want to intellectualize time, so I, I like kind of made it very literal. Uh, that you know, timekeeper when he was a kid, he lost the uh, important part of the village clock tower, and now the village won't wake up on time. So uh, the elders punished him, and they said that uh, from today it's your job to run the time because. Uh, clock tower doesn't work so he became the timekeeper the person who would take care of time now these are all very childlike ways of saying I mean it could mean that he's actually the time keeper or not so I was just playing with these uh, very childlike ideas but uh, they would have deeper meanings but I did not want to go into that kind of philosophizing it I just wanted to keep it very natural and childlike but everything is laden with this uh very doomed doom like uh uh, you know, gray, hazy atmosphere and melancholy and moss because um, I don't think it's, ever, uh, I mean, I did not want to make a very happy child film because maybe as an adult, I was, I was also questioning the whole idea of existence and trying to re, re- look at my childhood or us. Uh, so that just seemed like what I was feeling at that
0: particular time. So that's how it all kind of fell
1: in one place.
0: Yeah, it is kind of melancholy because of the location. Because it's, everything is so moist, is so wet, and it's like so filled with mist and fog. It is. It's very. Um. It, it's not depressive, but it's very. Um. It does help with the dreamlike state, but it could also be just like that. Like you're just thinking like my mind is just so clouded, and and that's kind of like how um a lot of people like with like cognitive impairment and like me um kind of see like that's how the experience kind of is like things are just foggy but like there's very particular scenes where light does come in and a lot of the light i i I want you to talk about like from your perspective again as a cinematographer is the use of light because the film overall is just very um hazy it has a very hazy feel to it like there's only specific scenes where light shines directly on the characters like for instance like when um nadine wakes up she's walking around she's looking up and like the light comes through and like, it sh- it kind of like shines on her kind of like halo, but it's not like direct sunlight and then the other main source of light is from the shadow boss where like, the story of the shadow bird is being told from inside the shadow boss that's like the only really the, the only few scenes we get like light shining directly on the character's face or just coming from like backlight so just can you talk about the use of light is for specific scenes because it's not present every every time.
1: Right. So, uh, like I said, that I wanted to, uh, create a world for, uh, this eight-year-old little girl, Nadi, who is, uh, for me, a very melancholic child and timekeeper, again, a much older guy, uh, but seems like, uh, lost and with no friends. And we don't know, he's just mysterious, but for me, like they are the same people. Uh, uh, she is an eight-year-old, but, uh, and much more older in her head. And he's a maybe 60 year old and a child. So they're like, you know, two sides of the same coin living in the same sense of um, uh, confusion and loss. And shadowbird uh, shadow bird is the only uh, light or warmth in their lives. And shadow bird is also, um, and uh, so every time you see the shadow bird, it's golden, backlit, uh, warm, Uh, nowhere else in their world and every time she remembers her mother or the father they are also warm sunny so I mean that's how we remember uh, memories with warmth and um, so a sense of gold yellow warm that palette that color palette evokes a sense of um, you know like a very cozy um, secure warm world for the child and uh, when vis a vis the rest of the film is uh, uh, grays and greens and hazy, overcast uh, with no sunlight and seems foggy and cold. And so it uh, kind of uh, it helps to achieve that state of mind that I wanted uh, both these characters to have. So I carefully found and coded the locations with those colors, uh, even in interior spaces. And uh, that also was one of the biggest reason that I decided to shoot it in the rains, the monsoons. So where we shot, which is uh, Maharashtra, Mumbai, um, we shot close to Pune. Uh, it's it's the season when it rains for like three, four months and the landscape transforms and uh, immense amount of moss and fog and rain happens. So, uh, uh, and there's no sunlight. So it automatically lends to the, uh, the landscape of the film so so that decision was very uh, clear in my head that I wanted to shoot in the rain so when, when I could not shoot it a particular year I waited for a year for that uh, uh, atmosphere to arrive and and also it's pretty uh, for an indie film when you, when you have a small crew less money to shoot in middle of rains when the uh, conditions are not very conducive is not really a great idea, but uh, there was no other way that I could achieve this look. So we just took a leap of faith and said that, uh, let's just hope that the rain gods will support us. And they kind of did. So when we wanted the fog, it would fog. (laughs) When we wanted no rain, it would magically not rain. So we just uh, went with a childlike conviction and it worked in our case. Yeah. (laughs)
0: So, so no, now you're talking about the rain and the location, which is perfect because I wanted to talk about that because this location is beautiful. Like, and like you, I think you display that so so well in the film because I like, use a lot of drone drone footage to show like the above uh, above the canopy of the trees and the building. And you get a scope for the size of this building where um, Nadi and her father, like, and we see her father, her grandmother, and her mother, and the tank keeper. We are seeing them walking around and you get a scope like from the inside you can't really tell how tall or how big this building is and but when you get outside you see how big it is but then you see how moss covered and how overtaken it is by the rainforest like the forest is reclaiming um the property so i want to talk a bit about the challenges of filming not only as you say monsoon season but the location itself because i imagine it couldn't have been easy like carting the equipment um, around this location because like it's wet, so like wet moisture brings challenges for filmmakers in general. So can you just talk about the challenges of filming in this location and also like what was the challenge? But also you guys, you talked about the fog and the rain stopping just when you needed it to stop. Um, so can you go into that a bit more?
1: Sure, sure. So uh, I mean, like I said, that we already knew that we're getting into a situation where it will rain. So. We were kind of mentally prepared for that. So we knew that we will lose some uh, time in terms of uh, the amount of number of shots we could take. So, so I mean, I back worked and I would just tell myself that I won't have full eight hours. I may just get six, but I'll have to work in that because what that time of year offers, uh, that's irreplaceable. Uh, because no matter of uh, VFX or sets or production design can achieve what nature can, so that was a given. So uh, we, um, so the biggest challenge was to find those locations because I obviously can't create them. Uh, so it took me a long, long time because uh, it's not. Uh, it may look very exotic in uh, this place with no human imprint, but there's a lot of uh, deforestation. There's a lot of uh, development and. It- spaces where there are jungles and a vast expanse, or like something as small as that I wanted a window with overlooking a tree, an old window overlooking a tree and no other houses or civilization behind it. That became quite a challenge. And I just wanted that image, you know, very central tableau, miniature painting-like image, where a tree uh, a beautiful tree with branching out uh, is positioned in inside a window frame so uh, we went around looking many many houses eventually we found it in an old temple and the boundary or the backyard of the temple was owned by some trust and hence there was no development there so um, so it took me like uh, over 2 years uh, every monsoon i would go and like 3 months of uh, just scouting or even to find trees which were crooked and filled with moss because the region I was shooting in there are hardly there are no forests left so again this was some temple property which because uh, there is a holy shrine so uh, the trees weren't cut and I just had what 15 odd trees and I've just shot it with wide lensing and up and close and low angle to make it seem like a big mystical jungle. I just had 15 trees, and everywhere else uh, around it was not so jungle-like. So, um, and um, shooting in the fog, like of course it happens that the uh, lens would fog up many a times. And so we took care of that and we had rain covers and um, it was very difficult for the actors also because they'd get wet. So I had double clothes ready. But um, everybody enjoyed it, and uh, uh, I mean, I did not push. Uh, we shot for eight days, which I think is a comfortable time to shoot a twenty-five-minute film. So, so that way we were, uh, we did not want to push the crew. Uh, we want them, wanted them to rest and shoot with a sense of calm, because that was so important to have in every frame for me. That I did not want that sense of struggle to appear on anyone's face or subconscious indirectly also. So there, um, I think uh, my producers were also very supportive. And we got to shoot it with a lot of, I would say, leisure. Like, I did not feel pressure while shooting it. So uh, I think that was the most important thing.
0: Yeah. Mm, No, I agree because I think it does and it does carry over into the performances because I, especially for Nadi, um, she's supposed to be, as you said, in a dream, in a in a dream stage, so she's like, Phil, she's a little girl. She's still with wonder, so she's supposed to look like relaxed and um and more like enthralled with her with her surroundings, you know, and more um amazed about everything that she's seeing and experiences. So I think like, and that's one of the things that I'm, that's always interested me about filmmaking and acting, like how the atmosphere of the set can affect the performance. That the that the director and the, and the actors are trying to to get because like you sometimes you can tell watching a film or a TV show like you can tell when someone is just like on the edge of feeling frenzied or something when they're trying to do performance like I was telling um I, I, like I I said recently I told someone recently like I love when I look at films and I can tell that the cast had fun while they yeah. are making it because they're just like so into so into the performance and they're just enjoying the dialogue and for this that you can tell like they're relaxed because they're supposed to be in this world where time doesn't really exist so they're not hurried. they're not concerned yeah. with what has to happen in the next hour, they're not concerned with where they have to go, so you you do get that sense of like, especially for the timekeeper, I think he's interesting like he's just this old man and he just like has this very curious Um, and also very mischievous look on his face. So can you just talk to me about finding your cast and finding um, the the performance to play these characters?
1: Yeah, so I mean, uh, both of uh, uh, both Nadi, Arohi, Radhakrishnan was super talented Uh, back then she was 8, now she's almost 10. So uh, finding her was a huge task because, you know, like to find a child who is not very animated and with doesn't have that extra energy which is beautiful about children but in this case I wanted the child to be very like calm and expressed through her eyes and I mean I didn't want her to look uh, stereotypically sad and melancholic like she has a calm about her but still there is her entire persona trips off uh, like she she has years of wisdom and she's seen the world so I wanted that, and so we we uh, found auditioned many many children in Pune, in Bombay. Uh, we went to schools, we went to theater groups. Uh, we also uh, casted out of kids who were working already in the industry. So uh, I didn't uh, find Nadi anywhere, but eventually a friend of mine who who helped me cast her is a casting director, Malhar. He introduced me to her, and she'd done a couple of advertisements. So, uh, and uh, I had this vision of Nadi, like I wanted her to look and feel just like my little niece. And she was surprisingly a splitting image of her and uh, even in personality. I wanted a child who was, uh, so in Indian uh, conventional standards of a a child uh, or beauty or uh, the picture perfect, uh, because it's a fable. So I wanted everything to be. Picture perfect in uh, in my sense of world. So, but I I did not want to cast like a very fair skinned conventionally. Uh, you know how Indians have this obsession with fair skin. So uh, I always saw a dusky girl with big eyes and a calm persona and two big pigtails and uh, ponytails. So um, so Nadia, uh I mean we auditioned her and uh, I instantly connected with her. In case of Timekeeper, I. The minute I imagined this character, there was only one person whom I thought of. That is Jameel Khan. He's a very, very old friend. Uh, we've known each other for 15 years now. And uh, he's a phenomenal actor, uh, a theater actor. Uh, I mean, he he looks like 60, but he's actually just 42, 43. So we uh, did a lot of makeup on him and he grew his beard and he worked on his body language. So uh, he's a... Stunning theater actor, he's done a lot of films. In fact, just two days back, he won the Best, best Actor Film Fair Award, which is like the highest yeah, uh, award in the country. And uh, um, he's done films like Gangs of Wasipur, which is a cult and Lions of Punjab and uh, uh, tons of work. So, uh, but uh, despite all that experience and everything else, like when I told him that I'm making a film and you know, like it's not a conventional story. So I don't know if you'd be interesting and interested because there won't be much dialogue you. know, you'd be more of your body language and your presence. So, uh, but he trusted me and he said, uh, I'm completely in, I'm sure you'll do something interesting. So this was also a very different experience for him. And uh, uh, I did not tell, uh, uh, I mean, I shared the script with Nadi because for me, she's the wise one and for me he's the child so uh i told her the whole story and she understood all the plot points she immediately took to it i asked her to narrate it back to me she did that beautifully but in case of uh, 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 jameel khan who's a far more senior actor who's used to doing shakespeare to uh, uh, all kinds of uh, uh, interesting works I told him that you know would it be okay if I do not give you the script and we just talk about your character your backstory and then I just want you to be in the character and we'll just improvise as we go so we spoke a lot about his character about his uh, the way he is he did a lot of look tests he had a lot of conversations but uh, um we had this thing that uh will not work on a idea of a script because i didn't want him to become i wanted him to be vulnerable basically so and and he's so learned that and such a fine actor that you know like i mean he would have just got that uh sharp performance i don't know and i wanted a little bit of uh, chaos in his personality like he's lost so, uh, and, and and I'm so grateful that he allowed me that. And um, he said, as long as between the two of us, one of us knows what's happening, I'm fine with it. So, <laughs> completely trusted me with it. And, and uh, he also recently, uh, the film, our film won at um, the Lady Filmmakers Film Festival, and he got the best supporting actor. So, that was also very special. And I'm so glad that people, uh, you know, it's interesting to see when your film or your work or uh, cuts across cultures and reaches uh, a very, very different audience who may not really uh, completely absorb uh, the little nuances of culture, but still it cuts across and uh,
0: the language of cinema is able to speak through. So that's, that's lovely. You no, know, it, it is. And I like, first, first, congrats to him. Um, I, I, I think you, you said that you didn't show him the script, which I think was very interesting, but then as it was as you were talking, I kind of thought about how that actually was a very genius move, because considering the type of story you're telling, I could see a, a more experienced actor, especially one that you said who, um, who does like Shakespeare and does plays very deep roles, could become too focused on the details, on the minutiae uh, of the story and just be like tell me more i need to know more about what you're telling me but if you don't give him but if you're just giving like the broad strokes you're like this is you're going in the forest you're a man who's in charge of time and you're kind of childlike that's it i can see how that would actually work because like, it, yeah. like him being curious about what's what's yeah. happening plays perfectly into the character because this character is, has a very um sense of curiosity and like they said like, mischievousness and i think him knowing nothing kind of makes perfect sense and i I like, applaud you for not telling him anything because i think that was genius <laughs> thank actually. you i That's
1: hope it. he still feels the same and doesn't hate me for
0: it <laughs> <laughs> um no, absolutely we talked a bit about we talked a bit about the cinematography and acting i want to talk about the sound design i love the sound design for this because it's very layered um so when, when i first watched i was listening with my headphones and I'm like, and I would recommend anyone if you're watching this on the laptop, if you're going to get to watch the film, I would say use, if you can use headphones, because the sound design is very layered in this app uh, for this film, like there's like, there's, you hear the immediate audio, but then there's like the rain, you can hear the sound of the rain always falling in the background, like the rain doesn't really stop when it was this thing. and and like, it sounds, um, and then there's the sound of like water dripping, and then there's the sound of the pendulum, and like I kind of, it kind of made me think that with water dripping could be a, a symbol of time again. Um, you know seconds counting down and then there's the sound of the pendulum like swishing and it's it's not like a very long song it's like very subtle and it comes on goal so can you just talk about working with your sound designer on building the, this, the, the, the the audio landscape of this film
1: so I basically had uh, I mean I was very fortunate that I had uh, some of my oldest friends and very very talented people uh, who worked on this film so um, uh, the film, the way it sounds and everything else is all credit to them and what they brought to it. We're also friends. We've known each other for a long time. So in this case, uh, uh, my uh, he's my batchmate from film school, uh, Ajit Singh Rathod, and uh, we we had done our thesis film together, which is also kind of uh, very uh, in that sense it did very well in the festivals and it's an experimental film and we both received. Uh, National awards, uh, National Film Awards for that film. So, uh, so our journey of collaboration started way back in 2007, and we come from similar backgrounds, and we've known each other for so many years. So, when we say let's put a bird um, as a you know call for uh, of longing, we know what we mean. There are a million birds, but we know when when I say water droplet, there are so many samples and so many kinds of it, but we know what kind of a droplet and what eco, what reverb. So since we have grown together, it was, uh, there wasn't much uh, uh, to communicate. Uh, And um, uh, Ajit gave a lot of time to the film very lovingly. And, uh, you know, like he uh, treated each and every scene with uh, uh, little details and layers. And so, um, and we were trying to recreate, like for example, the image is trying to, create a world which is a fable-like dreamscape, a landscape which uh, exists in a timeless zone, which is uh, with hints of architecture, sculptures, temple domes, moss, decay, melancholy, um, uh, mysticism, fog. Um, so many things. And in the middle of this uh, landscape, there are these characters who inhabit it and uh, they seem like they're floating. They're they're in a space like that. So uh, like how we achieved it visually with fog and uh, rain and the color palettes. And similarly in sound design, uh, small little uh, but very consciously taken Uh, decisions like for example a lot of times you'll see that the characters are walking but uh, there are no footsteps so it seems like they're floating it seems like a dream suddenly so it's very uh, the first instinct is to put the uh, footstep so um, also like uh, we wanted to use sounds which were from uh, an era gone by you know like if you hear a particular gong of a bell you would remember the years of your childhood then you would hear that clock tower which now it uh, I think at most places it's uh, they stopped working or, um, or uh, the sound of the pigeons in an empty house, which nobody inhabits now or uh, things like that. A uh, typewriter, uh, uh, the uh, sounds of little spare parts of clock. And uh, clock is also so a metaphor for so many things. It's a metaphor for time. It's a metaphor for concentric stories happening together. It's a metaphor for how the brain is decoding something. So um, so sounds were used very, uh, again, sounds were, uh, we went back to our nostalgia of childhood and we tried to evoke it with use of sound. So um, Jimmy and Anmol Bhavi, who did uh, a brilliant job at mixing it, um, uh, they just found that um, little texture of uh, uh, creating that time which has gone by and I mean and my effort was to create a time which could mean a, a childhood for any age like it could be the same for my grandmom for me or maybe a kid watching today because we don't know what time span we are talking about but we're talking about a place which exists in a limbo and yeah so I guess that's how we went about it
0: what you're saying actually kind of ties into something that you said before. Um, at the beginning, we're we're, we're talking about time and like with progression of time, time went with technology. Because you you were talking about um, how we don't really use like those old clocks anymore, like unless you go into a house with like um a grandparent or you have like an antique or people who fill the antiques, you won't find like those tall um those tall bookcase types of clocks anymore. Or like you know, my grandmother had like a cuckoo clock. Our whole wow, world. Yeah. And like going to most houses you don't see like those kind of um clocks anymore. And um it kind of made me think about how as as a filmmaker and as a and as a cinematographer, technology has allowed you to be able to tell stories of time goes um goes past. Like we as a society advance, we're able to tell stories better because of technology, but it's kind of like sad where the only time we get to tell these kind of stories about uh days gone by is through film. And it kind of makes you think of the, the things that we lose because of time, but then um, then, but then also as women, I think, especially as women of color, like because of progression of time, we're able to do these kind of jobs like before, years ago, we wouldn't have been able to do the jobs that we're doing now. So I want to talk to you a bit about that, about, about working as a filmmaker today and being able to do what you're able to do because of how time has pro- progressed and how our society has progressed but then using your your work to tell stories of of like maybe parts of your culture that you think like your society may be losing touch with
1: yes that's a very interesting question yes of course i've seen that change happen uh since the time i started working in this particular industry of course as a child i've seen how women or girl children were treated um, there was always a difference, you know. Girls are not supposed to laugh loudly, girls are not supposed to wear certain clothes, girls are supposed to behave a certain way, which was never the case with men. And, I'm, and uh, every time I've uh, spent time with my uh, friends uh, uh, from uh, films from other countries, I found that uh, the themes were not very different everywhere. Uh, it was pretty much it. Uh, The degree of expression would vary, but it was there, always there. So I think that normalization has happened now. So when I started working in the industry here in Mumbai back in 2008, I was, uh, there were hardly any women cinematographers working at that time, except two of my uh, seniors who were also largely doing advertisements. So uh, so when I uh, started, uh, I think it was a big shock or, uh, or a new thing for a lot of people on the crew, you know, they were not used to it. And, um, so there was some bit of, uh, an element of surprise or question or disbelief. So, um, so, uh, and, and uh, you know, like a crew has so many hierarchies and layers of people and you're supposed to work with uh, all of them together. And it's such a teamwork that if your entire team doesn't uh, believe in you, your job becomes so much more tougher. So, um, so back then it was a task of making people believe or uh, to take that leadership position in a non-threatening way and still assert your point. It was quite a task, but over the years it has changed. And now I see on a set, it's, uh, it, it's not so difficult for uh, so many people in the crew to take maybe orders from a woman, <laughs> you know? It's, so, so the society is changing and people's mindsets are changing more and more women are coming in. Um, So uh, like I told you, when I started working, there were hardly any. And um, as time passed, a few of us who were working at that time, we spoke and we started this collective called uh, IWCC, Indian Women Cinematographers Collective. And the idea was to bring, uh, showcase uh, the brilliance of work of uh, Indian origin women cinematographers to celebrate their work to create a, 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 a place uh, for uh, everyone to unite and to talk about uh, uh, their challenges, their struggles, their triumphs, to everything. So it was just this umbrella where everybody could come and discuss and ask any question, or kind of a safe space. And um, back then when we started four years back, they were like 30, 40, and now it's almost a body of 120 women and, um, and everybody's doing great and it's doing beautifully and so i've seen that change happen uh, in front of my eyes and uh, more and more women are coming in and uh, more and more women writers directors editors sound designers are coming in and it's really having a impact on the kind of stories told also because i think for the longest time we were listening to a very one-sided perspective or, or a one-sided narrative and Like, I think it's time now to restore that balance or to create that equilibrium where um, you're able to hear uh, women look at uh, the world with a different sensitivity. Uh, They have a different gaze. Uh, They have their own uh, organic way of uh, seeing or telling um, uh, their own ideas of human resilience, spirit, faith. So I think uh, we need to hear those perspectives uh, a lot more now so and I'm glad that it started happening in a big way and uh, also here also everywhere else though it still seems like a long way to go it's uh I mean it's uh it's overwhelming to see women doing well but I still feel there's it's a long way, but um it's a good start
0: mm. it's always good to have just like just start because like this industry, um, the filmmaking industry, whether you're a film, whether you're a director, a cinematographer, an editor, or even like myself, a journalist or critic, like as women and as women of color, this particular industry, the film industry, is one where like we talk a lot about gatekeeping and, and like the need for representation because like we ain't coming from our own personal perspective, like that does give us the opportunity to tell stories from our perspective because you can't have just one type of people telling all of these multiple stories because eventually the stories will all get told the same way even if it's like you know what i mean like even if you have you can have one director who does like horror action drama whatever but when you look at the films that you can tell that it's the same person making them because everyone has their own kind of like um stamp or their own like their uh, dna that runs through their films and i think for, for for the film industry to get better to grow and to progress because especially for the For the young people growing up now, who will be watching these stories like they need to be able to see stories coming from a different perspective they need to see the different dna running through the film industry so i think it's fantastic that you have like creators like you and you have the um the collective that you found that you formed because like women do need spaces safe spaces where they can talk about their work and talk about their experiences and i think being able to talk about them does help i think with the creative process because they that's how as you're able to talk about it, you're able to grow and you're able to get realizations and share, and you're able to like tell your stories differently in the future than you would have told them in the past so i i like applause to you and like to your to everyone your mm-hmm. and to everyone that you work with because um indian, I, I don't think a lot of people that indian films like especially the indian music and like um a style of telling stories influences western uh filmmaking a lot more <laughs> Then I think a lot of people realize, especially yeah. like in the music and like even in pop culture, like I'm like there's someone who did a breakdown of um Britney Spears' song Poison, and he was using a track from an Indian uh, from a film. Like it was a film from I think it was like the '40s, and people are like, oh, like this is. A piece. He's like, no, but you, like, you need to understand like people borrow from different cultures, whether it's music or film, and I think when you it, and that helps to tell better stories. And so that we need like more filmmakers like you to have. Like to show the different ways that stories could be told. Because I don't think if you took your script and give it to and someone, give it to us another director, it would be told the same way. It wouldn't be like you You have yeah. your own sensibilities of telling the story.
1: That's, uh, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like uh, everybody has a different take on things, and uh, uh, we need to encourage more voices. And when I say more voices, it's not just women, we need to get more perspectives, more cultures. Races, people from different minorities, people from uh, different backgrounds. Uh, so, uh, I mean, uh, I think it's happening, uh, and and I'm glad that there are so many people who are also uh, supportive of it. That there are so many people who I know personally who were not cognizant of this earlier, and they have uh, no, uh, you know, like they accepted that uh, maybe we were just blind to um, a kind of partiality or inequality that we were subconsciously maybe doing and and they're so much more aware of it now and they're trying to be uh, take a stand and uh, trying to um, be more aware of uh, different uh, this kinds of perspectives. So um,
0: yeah. So I think this is where we wrap because I think this is a perfect case. I want the best for you because I know um I think Catherine told me like this is being um considered for uh, for the Oscar category for best shorts. Yes. I wish all the best to you and to your team Thank because you so I, I think the film is beautiful and yes. to yes. everyone who worked on it, applause to everyone in today, Thank yeah. you
1: so much. I'm so glad that uh, you liked the film and uh and we just wanted to reach the maximum number of people and uh, it's it's made with a lot of love with a set of talented crew and cast and uh, it evokes a certain kind of uh, image of India which I feel I was trying to uh, project which uh, I think we don't generally see so it, I mean I just can't wait to bring it to people and uh, we only hope that we move forward in our journey of this uh, Oscar shorts and thank you so much for uh, speaking to me and this is such a stimulating conversation. Thanks a lot.
0: Thank you for talking to me. Um, is there a way that people will be able to see? Because I know to, um, right now it's only available, I think, for um, selected screenings for like press and journalists. Um, is there a way that it, that it will be available for, uh, for the public to, to screen it soon?
1: So yes, uh, we did not want, it, uh, want to put it on our platform till the time our festival uh, or, you know rounds were over. So uh, as of now, uh, since it's still in con- consideration, um, but uh, the trailer of the film is available. Uh, maybe uh, if you could leave a link here, uh, people could watch it. Uh, you could uh, read more about the film. Um, uh, we have an Instagram page, soon see Shadow um, could, uh, uh, And we hope to put it up on a platform very soon. So that conversation is going on and the festivals are still happening. So a uh, uh, slow journey, but it's happening.
0: You know, festival season can take a lot. So it's Sunday's nice festival season. Seems like it takes forever. And then as soon as this end, and then you're like, wait, that was it. <laughs> and you got to prepare for it all over again. <laughs> the the um, whole
1: pandemic thing, you know, just stretched it. And I'm so like, we went to so many festivals. The film went to so many festivals, but I, as a filmmaker, have uh, not, has not attended a single real screening, you know. So uh, it's, it's heartbreaking. And I'm really hoping that, you know, I could show it to an audience in person. It's been online screenings. Mm -hmm. And there have been a couple of festivals abroad, but we could not travel. So, so um, that has also been a bummer, but hopefully very soon it should reach more people.
0: Yeah, the last two years, I always say time is like a flat circle. Time means nothing. Talking about Sunburn and how time is using the film, time <laughs> in real life, with this pandemic means yeah. nothing. Because like 20, I don't understand how it's great we at the end of 2021 already. It was just New Year's, but somehow we're here already. It means yeah. nothing. <laughs> Again, thank you so much for talking with me, Sabina. This has been a great conversation and t- taking the time to speak with me. Thank
1: you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks a ton.
0: So, everyone, thank you for listening to this episode of Carolyn Talks and with me, your host, Carolyn. And today I was joined by Cinema Talker and director and writer Savita Singh to talk about her short film, Shadowberg, Sonsi. Um This was such a great conversation. I appreciate um, Savita taking the time to speak with me about her film and about her work in the film industry in India and the work that she and the collective are doing there. And just about the process of this film because I think it's a very interesting film visually. It's like as she said, it's not a lot of dialogue, but it does, I think, tell so much of the story visually. which, you know, me as you guys, if you know me, know that I love. So I appreciate her taking the time to to speak with me. And you can find other episodes of Karen Talks on the But Why the as well as um, under the So Here's What Happened podcast. You can find those links on SoundCloud, as well as Spotify and other podcast streaming sites, as well as Acas. And you can find the YouTube version of this if you want to see us chatting on my YouTube channel under my name, Carolyn Hines. that's C-R-O-L-Y-N, H-I-N-D-S. You can see, find, listen to my podcast, Beyond the Romance, where I talk about Asian dramas. Um, I do recaps. I do special episodes where I'm joined by a fellow drama fan and, and friends to talk about their favorite dramas. Um, you can find my recaps for the weekly dramas that I've watched or that I'm currently watching or have recently watched as well as my interviews that I did for that with the African American Film Courts Association, Virtual Roundtables, where we interviewed people like Calvin Harrison Jr. for his film, Serrano. We've spoken to the cast of the Amazon Prime comedy series, Harlem. We've spoken to um, some amazing people over the last two years. I can't believe I'm saying this because the pandemic has lasted two years. Um, but it's been a great two years. I appreciate Af- working with AFTA. I love working with that with the team. And being able to speak to black creatives in the film and television industry. And um, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Carrie or at ECNH12. Follow my hashtags Dramas with Carrie's where I like tweet the shows that I'm currently watching Our Sundays occasionally films, as well as Saturday Night Sci-Fi, where I am my co-host and my Saturday Night Sci-Fi feeds We like tweet our film or TV show off the night every Saturday night at 10 p.m. Eastern. And until the next episode of Carolyn Talks, everyone, we stay